Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Uh, if you're brand new, we've been in a series called Christmas Is. So we start with Christmas is the gift of seeing more. Uh, one of the saddest things if you, if you live this life is not having vision for your life. And so we uh, see that Jesus comes to give us vision for more for our life than just this world. Uh, then I talked about Christmas is the hope of the world. And really, uh, one of our jobs is to bring hope to the hopeless. That Jesus is living hope. That hope isn't a thing. It's a person. His name is Jesus. Last week, I uh, preached on Christmas is for everyone. Acts 16. I mean, there's a lot of ways people get saved. A lot of ways people encounter Jesus. One of my favorite messages I've ever preached. If you missed it, watch it. You're welcome. Um, and then today, my message is Christmas is all about Jesus. Woo! Talk to the creative team. We got in a room. Got the think tank going. What do we title this message? Creep out Jesus. Okay, candlelight, manger. There's this baby. We always, okay, Jesus. So that's how we landed on that. Um, before we go into my message, though, uh, something we, we um, are doing a little bit better, and we're going to start doing better, is every four months, we want to stop and celebrate what God has done through this house. Not only in this house, but through this house. This church is not a cul-de-sac. It is not a place where blessings stop. You don't give to a church. You give through a church, just so you know that. And so the last four months, we've been able to give to so many things. Uh, they've actually, did, this is a study that came out this week. Uh, basically, uh, it is good for your heart to give. Your blood pressure is lowered when you give. And so our church's blood pressure is looking really low right now. Amen. And so um, I just want to celebrate a few things. Uh, one of the first ones is we gave 5000 uh, to uh, a ministry that's um, uh, an amazing ministry. One, uh, half of it went to uh, Manila, Philippines, and they gave 100 kids uh, a Christmas present and the gospel this Christmas. I think we have a present. Look at this. Mission Church, you did that. Come on. That's special. I, I, I didn't do that. I don't got that kind of scrap. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's a generous church. Uh, another thing I thought was really sweet was uh, 100 children in Sri Lanka we gave shoes and the gospel with. So they got shoes and a gospel. 100 kids in Sri Lanka. Come on, that's amazing. Um, another one, 25 backpacks full of school supplies and gospel shared with children in Uganda. Come on, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting started. Um, uh, we helped two persecuted families in China. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, uh, locally, Christmas gifts for 10 local children in the foster care families in Contra Costa. So we... we uh, we believe in uh, local, national, and global, that our church is not just called to be right here, but we're called to literally reach all those places. Uh, another thing I thought was really sweet that I, I want to celebrate is uh, $46,000 we um, had for COVID relief to give out to people during this last year. COVID for everybody has a different story. Some people lost their job. Some people missed two weeks of work and they were paid hourly. And so what we did as a church is when people were missing out their salaries or couldn't make rent make, uh, or, or uh, pay bills, our church was stepping up, not because I'm stepping up, because you stepped up and gave to the COVID relief fund. So come on, give yourself a clap. That's amazing. Um, I, love, I love this spirit of generosity. Uh, this is a big one for me. Uh, a few months ago, the Haiti earthquake, we provided 50,000 meals, gave a few thousand dollars. 50,000 meals, come on. Um, uh, we also gave the Afghan uh, refugee thing that, I mean, just got exploded. So we gave some, I mean, Christians over there, they need help. So we gave some money to that. This is an exciting one. 15,000 at church plants uh, the last few months. Just last few months, 15,000 church plants. You need to know something. The Barna study did a study on evangelical churches, Jesus-centered churches. There was 3,500 at the beginning of the pandemic. There are now 2,500, 1,000 less. Man, we got to plant new churches, life-giving churches that are preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus-centered teachings. And so uh, we're going to invest in church plants. Um, let me do uh, one more. Um, we did a bunch. We gave clothing, thousands to uh, Benevolence. 
it's just a, you're a special church, Mr. Church. So I want to say thank you. It's always uh, good to remind ourselves that Christmas is about giving and not receiving. Can I get an amen? You guys ready for the message? All right, turn your Bibles to Luke 2. You're the more energetic service. I like that. The other service was powerful in numbers, but you're the Gideon service. You're powerful in spirit. Okay? It's not even a small service, but your spirit's good. Uh, Luke 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding the flocks of the sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord glory surrounded them. There they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy. Everybody say good news. I'm going to touch on that in just a second. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in a Snuggie. Come on now. Uh, in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. Ooh, do we want peace on earth? That's our promise. That's what we're called to be, peacemakers, uh, not divisive people. We're supposed to have peace come to us and come through us. Peace on earth uh, to those in whom God is pleased. Goodwill to men. Let me get back to this real quick. It says, I bring you good news. Christmas is an uh, invitation to the investigation. Now, let me just be honest. If you hear bad news or good news, you're going to investigate it. What if you heard just today, did you hear Netflix is tripling their price? You're like, hold on a second. You start Googling it. You start calling your friends. Hold on a second. How much does it even cost right now? They just take money on my credit card anyways. You know, 10 bucks. It's going to be $30. You would check it because it's going to affect your pocketbook. Bad news, you investigate. How about good news? What if you heard this? Processed sugar lengthens your life. You'd be like, woo. Yeah, give me that Snickers bar, you know. Give me that Starburst, you know. You know, you're on a run eating a Snickers. Hey, how are you? Um, what if a donut shop came in and you heard this donut place, if you eat these donuts, you get ripped. You would investigate it. Would we agree with this? So good news is the invitation to the investigation. So this good news message is, hey, the Messiah is born. Everything's going to be different. There'll be now peace on earth. Not only there was animosity, if I put it that way, there was wrath between you and God because God hates sin. So when Jesus came, it wasn't a war against you. It was a war against sin. The thing that was destroying the thing that he loved most. And so when Jesus came and said, I'm going to create peace, and I'm going to destroy the thing that steals your peace the most, and it's sin. It's the flesh in us that just destroys us. And so what I want to do today is I want to share the Christmas story from all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Each Gospel has a different, amazing facet of why Christmas is so important and why it's so good. I was going to, the second title I had for the message, you know, Christmas is all about Jesus, but the second thing I was going to say is Christmas is good. That's the title, just, it's good. There's just something about God being good. There's something about the good news. There's something about me communicating to somebody. Maybe you're a seeker in the house, or maybe you haven't been in church for a while. Man, God's good. You've experienced bad in the world. That wasn't God. That was the world. God is good. And so I'm excited to show you four really good things about Christmas. Does that sound good? Bow your heads. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that in this house we got a bunch of kiddos. God, you smile at the kiddos that are loud right now. So may we smile too. So preparing people, some, some people's hearts in the room right now. If you're like, I can't hear you, Tyler. It's, it is what it is. Okay, bear with me. Uh, God, we love you. Uh, we thank you that uh, this house is full of people worshiping you and not this world. God, we lift up your name, no other name. We lift up your truths, no ideas. God, I pray my words will fall to the floor and you're with the sword. God, we need you, we need you. Everybody said? Amen. First service, we had a ton of kids. I thought they did great. Kids are doing great right now. Here we go, here we go. Um, we have just the best children's pastor, by the way. Shout out to Tiffany. <laughs> Tiffany's on this side of the room. Am I right? I don't know. I can't see anything. I was trying to use my Holy Spirit sensing. Okay, here we go. Um, first one, Christmas shows us Jesus' resume. 
Jesus' resume. Why would I, why would I start with that? Why is it important to see Jesus' resume? Now, you need to know something. Matthew 1 starts like this. I'm going to read it to you. Um, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Everybody say Tamar. We're going to talk about her today. Oh, we're going to talk about Tamar. Okay. Um, Perez the father of Hezron. Uh, the, the Old Testament, I mean the um, Old Translation, King James, you would have called these the begats. It would have been Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob begat Judah, Judah begat Perez, and so on and so forth. It would have called the begats. Now, genealogies to us, they don't mean anything, really. Like, who does genealogies these days? But back then, it was your resume. If you wanted to be a leader, if you wanted to be accepted, if you wanted to be seen as somebody great, they needed to see your genealogy, your resume. If your parents are great, but your grandpa was nuts, you out. We need hundreds of years of great family. We need to see that your lineage is impressive. King Herod, Herod the Great, that was around this time, his genealogy had half Edomites in it. In other words, he says Edomites. So the Edomites were basically from the wrong side of the track. In Jesus' area, it had been the wrong side of the Jordan, okay? And so Herod the Great, what he did on his resume of his family lineage is he deleted all of the Edomites in his lineage. So when you looked at his genealogy, it was just like, ooh, impressive, ooh, impressive, ooh, even more impressive, impressive. There was not one person that wasn't impressive in that uh, genealogy. But you get to Jesus, and if you were a first century Christian, you're like, who is this Jesus you're telling me about? I want to see how impressive he is. And one of the ways you'd see his impressiveness was his lineage. So Christmas is introduced by how he broke into history. But you would read it and you would see Jewish men who were murderers. You would see Gentiles. You would see women. Women were never mentioned in genealogies. Just to give you a heads up if you're late in the house. Christianity is the religion that elevates women more than any other religion. Makes men and women not uh, here and here. They are co-laborers, equals, serving, okay? God, I, I love that about the gospel. It comes into this time where women were seen as literally cattle and elevates them in the genealogy. Say, no, no, they're so important to the kingdom. Is that a good thing? Yeah. You're like, duh, I live in the Bay Area. I already know I'm amazing. Um, let's keep going. You don't got to tell me that. Um, so anyways, uh, so the genealogy shows prostitutes, all these things. So you would read like, why in the world if Jesus is trying to impress me, show me all these jacked up people in his uh, family lineage. He's God. He could be like, that person? Nope. Keep David, King David. He killed a giant. That's cool. Um, but he did have an affair and kill a guy. Take him out. Never mind. Uh, you know, Abraham, we love Father Abraham. Keep him in there. Jacob, keep him in there. Isaac, those are fun to preach. The one that confuses me is Tamar. And we're going to get to that in just a second. Now, uh, Christmas is about favorites, if I can put it that way. The best of the best. I, my favorite song is uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day by Casting Crowns. I love that song. Uh, give me some favorite songs. What's some of your favorite songs? Holy oh, Holy Night. Jingle Bells. That's a big one among the kids. I've heard that one a good amount. Okay. Anybody else? White Christmas. White Christmas. Come on now. I like Nat King Cole. I'm dreaming of it. That is Nat King Cole, huh? Yeah. From kids from 1 to 92. Okay, anyways. So those are some favorite songs, okay? Mine is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Play a little bit of it. I, want, I just want people to, this is the first song we play to start Christmas. Rachel Iron in the car. You keep it on. And I press play right after Thanksgiving. We're driving back from work it out. And we don't talk at all. And for three minutes we're hearing this. And it's a powerful song. Halfway through, I look at Rachel. She's crying, I'm crying. <laughs> For some reason, this song slays my wife and I, okay? If you never heard it, check it out. It's a powerful song. I mean, there's a song like, hate is strong and mocks this song. But then it comes on to say, but God is not dead, nor does he sleep. I mean, it just goes off, you know? Ooh, it's the gospel. So, all right, turn it off. Uh, 
I got to preach again. Um, so that's my favorite song. But the song I hate, I never listen to it. I mean, if it comes on, I'll turn that thing off. It's in a commercial. I'll change the channel. I hate this Christmas song. Here it is. Check it out. Tree. I hate this song. Christmas, my true love sent to me. Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Four calling birds. Three French hens. Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. One more time. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me. Five golden rings. French and a partridge in a pear tree. And scene. The last time you're going to hear me sing that song or hear that song. Hate that song. I just think, like, who would get their love 178 birds? That's how many birds are given for the 12 days of Christmas. And not only 170 birds, who would give their love a goose? That is the jerk of the bird family. They're just not nice. Then I started, I came across this article when I was studying, I thought it was funny. Forbes came out with, uh, inflation has destroyed the 12 days of Christmas. I um, just want to read you some stats. Two turtle doves will cost you 50% more than, uh, than last year. It'll cost you 450 bucks. Which is two turtle, dang, turtle dove game is high. Um, uh, French hens, 40%, 255 bucks. And six geese a lane, prices soar 51%. If you were going to do the 12 days of Christmas this year for your love, it would cost you Forbes magazine, here's the math, $179,454.19. Dang! In the 90s, it would have been like $35,000. Oh, the good old 90s when things were cheaper and gas was a buck. Uh. Anyways, I hate that song. So you know what I do? I don't listen to it. I don't put it on anything. It's out of my life. I'm deleting it. Next question for you real quick. What's your uh, favorite Christmas food? Anybody's favorite Christmas? Give me one for favorite Christmas food. What's that? Cheese? Beef? Beef. Beef. I, I understand you now. Beef. So what's for dinner? We got some carnivores over here that love beef. All right. I would choose sweet potato casserole myself. My least favorite food is cranberries. Cranberry sauce and cranberry. They're on the table. I'm like, ugh. I'm going to sit away. I don't get the cranberry game. I just, it is what it is. If you love them, good for you. You can have them your Christmas. They ain't touching my table, okay? One more I'm going to talk about. Uh, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Anybody have a favorite Christmas movie? Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way. Elf. Home Alone 2. Thank you. Okay, I forgot there's kids in here. This could be dangerous. <laughs> the balls are rolling. They never stop. Uh, my favorite Christmas movie is Home Alone. I love it. I wait till Christmas Day to watch it. My favorite movie. I love it. I love it. My least favorite movie. I never watch it. I've only seen part of it. I told my wife I've seen all of it. I'm confessing my life. Yep. She, <gasps> my least favorite movie is It's a Wonderful Life. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. I don't want to have my heart ripped out of my chest for my Christmas Day movie. I'm sorry. I don't like being... <laughs> Scrooge has arrived, and it's, you're a pastor. I just, so guess what? I don't watch it. I don't even think about it. I'm good, okay? Let's get back to the genealogy. If you're Jesus, if Herod the Great uh, changed the genealogy to impress you, if I could just be honest, top five least favorite stories in all the Bible, oh, all the Bible, is Judah and Tamar. It's in Genesis 38. 
I want to stay in Genesis 38. I don't want to make an appearance in Matthew 1. I want to bury it deep down inside and never bring it up again, okay? Why do I not like this story? When I first became a Christian, I'd read the Old Testament and I would be like, man, God, you're so messed up. And I would blame God for how messed up mankind was. So Judah and Tamar, it's Jerry Springer on steroids. Judah's the father, Tamar marries the son, and the son uh, dies, and so he promised her, I'll have another son marry you, because to be a widow back then was basically a sentence to have nothing and have no hope to be able to do anything in life. Judah breaks his promise, doesn't care about Tamar, forgets about it. So Tamar is now helpless, and so helpless people make decisions that are not the best decisions at times. And so Tamar goes, okay, Judah's coming to town. I have no child. If I have a child that could give me some purpose, it could actually change my legacy. So she acts like a prostitute, puts on prost- takes her widow clothing off, puts her prostitute clothes on. Judah is coming by, sees her, doesn't recognize her because she's got a veil on. And she, uh, she, as a prostitute, he, as Judah, comes in, sleeps with a prostitute, gives his little signet cord to her, and then leaves. Now... She gets pregnant. Judah hears, Tamar, the widow, she slept with somebody. She did what? We were going to kill her, burn her alive. Uh, she says, you were the one that slept with her, and it's your baby. Really? Okay. So Judah's like, hold on a second. Sees that his signet cord is still with her. He goes, time out on the whole killing her thing. We're going to let her have the baby. When would I ever be able to preach that message on a Sunday? Turn your Bibles to Genesis 38. We're going to talk about a father-in-law sleeping with her as daughter. All right, are you encouraged today? Can you imagine me saying that when your kids are in the room? I just did. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. So here's the deal. Matthew 1. Not only does God bring it back in Matthew 1, he unpacks it. He goes, Judah. So we have Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. He even throws the kids in. The twins, Tamar, he throws Tamar. Hey, just so you know, Judah and Tamar, he's throwing something in there on purpose. Jesus shows us his resume, not to show us how good we are, but to show us how good he is. Christmas is an attack on religion. Religion says to build your life. Ooh, Christmas says he'll birth a new life. There's something about us trying to build our own thing. You're never going to build what you want to build that's really in your heart. Jesus wants to birth what really you desire in your heart. Religion says you got to work for things, and Christmas says God's new mercies will actually give you new things. There's just something about receiving from a God who wants to give you instead of you working for it. Christmas is Jesus taking a train wreck and actually making it a beautiful thing again. Your worst train wreck, Jesus shows you this resume to say, hey, you can put your story in here, the worst of the worst, and I can birth the greatest thing ever. His name is Jesus, and I can birth a new Christmas in your life. Is that a good story? Amen? Yeah. Come on, if that doesn't encourage you on Christmas, I don't know what will. Turn to your neighbor and say, your train wreck, it can be redeemed. It's a long sentence. You're like, ah, never mind. Who cares? Let's keep going. You can turn your neighbor. You is a train wreck. No. Okay. Um, Second one, Christmas shows us why Jesus came. So Mark one's uh, funny to me. You'll never hear the reading of Mark on a Christmas uh, candlelight service usually. I never have. So I thought I'd share a little bit of why you don't see it on a Christmas uh, candlelight service. Because Peter, who is the eyewitness account, John Mark is the one that's writing it down for Peter. Uh, Peter don't care about babies. You, who, who knows, um, who in the room loves babies? You're like the baby person, like, give me your baby. I want to, I love smelling the baby. Oh, baby smell. You love holding the baby. You know, people have new pictures, like, oh, show me pictures of your baby. And then there are people in the room, you just don't care about babies. You know, people are like, hey, here's my baby. Cool. He's just chilling, you know. Hey, you want to see a picture of my baby? I guess. Oh, wow, it's your baby sleeping again. You know, like, let's be like, yes, like, 
Put this baby at the top of the list of things I don't care about today. That is Peter in the Bible. Bear with me here. When Peter thought about Christmas, he's like, I'm going to start with Jesus as a man and why he was birthed. The manger is a powerful story. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit wanted to record it this way and get straight to the point of why Jesus came. You don't have to read two or three chapters to get to why Jesus came, why he was in a manger, why those little feet, why those little hands were become a man and die for you and I. In Mark 1, he gets straight to it. It says, Jesus was a man. He was baptized. One picked up team up. I mean, that's where he starts. No baby to be found. But he shows us why Christmas came. I want to show you the story. Mark 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy. We're in chapter 1. Like, how do we get here? Peter's like, just trust me. You're going to love this story. Mark 1, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Stop. I've got to give you some context real quick for this. A leper during this time was basically seen as a curse. You had a sickness that was uncurable, and you had to be isolated from everybody else. We are very, uh, beforehand, we were never familiar with social distancing. They had this even back then in biblical days. Ours was six feet. If you were a leper, it was 50 feet. Imagine trying to shop being a leper 50 feet in the grocery store. Like, oh, is that 49 feet? Is that 45? It'd just be sore. Not only that, when you walked in as a leper, you had to announce that you were a leper. Unclean! I'm a leper! Can you imagine we still did that? You walk in a room, angry guy entering! Pickpocket is here! Prostitute, nice to meet you! Adulterer, hey, good to see you! That's what a, so a leper had to tell you the worst part of their life when they walked into a room. And when they told you, you would disperse from them. So they never felt hugs. They never felt welcome. They never felt anything except rejection. Well, let me double down on this real quick. Lepers not only didn't feel those things, lepers lost their feeling physically. It was a nerve damage disease also. You would lose your feeling. You wouldn't be able to feel anymore. Let me show you something real quick. Moved with compassion, it says. So Jesus felt something. He felt for a man who couldn't feel. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Stop. Here's what Christmas is saying to you and I. We're all the leper spiritually. We're all the leper emotionally. We're all the leper relationally. We all are that. And there's this verse in the Beatitudes, always fascinating. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I'm happy if I mourn. I don't want to be. Blessed are those who are sad. What are you saying? The, The translation says this. Blessed are those who feel again, who feel love again, who feel welcomed again. Because not only will they feel love again and feel welcome again, they will feel comforted. And the Holy Spirit, God will wrap his arms around them. The church is supposed to be that. That blessed are those who feel again and dream again and love again. Church, can I just encourage you real quick? The reason why you feel bad when you sin is a gift. It's not, don't, don't, it's not, that's not a shame thing. When, we, when I hear somebody like, oh, I feel so bad. I did. That's good. You're not numb to what is destroying you and destroying the world. You're not numb to the curse of sin. When you get angry, like, I shouldn't have done that. That's a great thing. You feel remorse. Blessed are those who mourn over the sin that is destroying families and destroying the Bay Area. Woo! Why? Because God's going to change the sin and change it to redemption instead. Is that a good Christmas story? Come on. Christmas came to show us, came to show us why Jesus came. Third one. So Peter doesn't like babies. We covered that. Let's keep going. Uh, Christmas shows us what's really important, what's really important. Luke 1's fascinating. Uh, It is... uh, Luke, a Gentile doctor, hired to write uh, an eyewitness account. It's the most detailed, longest gospel of all of them. Mark, if you want to re- like, be really proud of yourself and read through one of the gospels, go to Mark. It's 16 chapters. It's very short. You'll feel very accomplished. Okay? But if you want to get like, stuck a while and read for a long time, go to Luke and the book of Acts. Both are written by Luke. They're the longest books in the New Testament. This guy likes to describe everything. 
So he describes the, the, uh, the birth of Jesus. He describes the rejection uh, of the birth of Jesus. And he goes on to describe the life of Jesus. I, out of anything that I could preach on a Sunday, my favorite thing to preach is just Jesus. We were in the Gospel of John for six months uh, last year because I love preaching on Jesus. Now, I'm wanting to catch what he shows us, this unique little touch on Christmas that shows us what really is important. And this is why you got to stop sometimes and really process Scripture, because this, I think, is one of those powerful things you can see on Christmas. Ready? Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. I just love you in the starting real quick. I want you to catch them real quick. This is another miracle Christmas. To have your story even written during this time, you had to be rich, and you had to hire somebody to write it. Because uh, writing was a rich man's game, and utensils and paper was not cheap. So only people had their stories that were recorded were rich people who hired people to record the stories. But this, it says, many people wanted to know the story of Jesus. And so many people were just writing the story because here's why. Because God was good and it was significant. It was world-changing. And so this, Luke just starts out as, hey, give you a heads up. Many people writing this. I feel privileged to be able to be uh, hired by Theophilus, a, a rich man that char- charged me to write this. And he goes on in Luke 2. We're going we're gonna, to uh, bypass, I think, one of the most famous stories where Elizabeth is told she's going to birth a baby. And then uh, it's one of my favorite stories. really fun to preach even because, you know, um, uh, um, her husband uh, literally goes, I'm so old. And Elizabeth is, he catches himself, well in her years. Very finesseful. It's a very fun thing to preach. Um, he knows how to say it. I'm old. She's just along in her years. How are we going to have a kid? So he talks about them having a kid. So John the Baptist is going to be born. And then Mary gets told they're going to have a kid. It's an amazing thing. You found favor. Mary's response is amazing. She's like, I'm ready. I, people know me as blessed because I was chosen. It's a, she writes a song even. But then here comes the, the big part where actually the baby has to be born. It's amazing when you get the word. Hey, Christmas is coming. All, they're celebrating. Mary's singing songs. Elizabeth, her high five, and I can't believe this is happening. So the promise is always great, but the journey to the promise is always the hard part. So be encouraged. There's a promise on your life, but understand that the process is going to take some grit. Can I get an amen for that? So here comes the grit. At that time, Roman Emperor Augustus declared a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazarene in Galilee. He took with him Mary, whom he engaged, was uh, now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for a baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for him. There was no room for Jesus. No room for Jesus. You cannot preach the story of Jesus without preaching rejection. He's rejected at birth. He's rejected in his own hometown. His parents, when they took him for the offering to get circumcised, they gave two little pigeons, which was the lowest of the lowest offerings for the poorest people. He came from a poor family. He was the son of a carpenter. So when he was um, designated and when he said, I'm the son of God, the whole city that knew him rejected you. You don't look the part, Jesus. We don't believe you. You're poor. You're son of a carpenter. There's no way that you're the one that's going to change the world. He's rejected by his own race, the Jewish people. They picked Barabbas over him. They're like, get rid of this guy. He doesn't look the part. He was rejected on the cross. Rejection, rejection, rejection. Why was he rejected by mankind? Simply this. Mankind always looks at the outer. Always looking at the outer. Uh, The Jewish people were looking for Chris Hemsworth on a white horse with a Thor hammer, ready to destroy the Roman Empire. That's what they wanted. What they got is, in Isaiah 53, it literally says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected. So instead of getting uh, Chris Hemsworth on a, white, uh, on a white horse, they got average Joe-looking guy on a donkey riding in. And for some reason, the way that we're built, especially with our flesh, is when we see things on the outside that aren't impressive, 
We don't even check to see what's on the inside if it could change our life. And so Christmas shows us what's really important. The outside stuff, not important. What's here, the most important. And if I could just double down on this, the thing that you're missing out on is the world doesn't need more flash or more talent or more catchy things. It needs something concrete. It needs something real. It needs something that can change lives, and his name is Jesus. I'm going to read you a story. I'm almost done. Sorry, I ended your clap. I appreciate it. This is, thanks. Let's read it. Okay. Uh, during World War II, I want to read you the story. I think it's just a, a powerful way to wrap up. Um, a man named John Blanchard was a lieutenant in the Navy. At one point, he had a chance to use a library, and he got a book out of the library that belonged to somebody else. It had been sold and come, uh, and come to the library. Even though he liked the book, the thing he really liked was the notes. A woman who lived in New York City had written all the notes in margin, and he loved the notes. He was intrigued by wisdom, uh, by the wisdom of the notes, and insight of the notes. He was attracted to the person who wrote the notes. Her name was uh, on the inside of the book, and he could tell it was um, from New York City. Uh, so with a little bit of effort, he discovered where she was, a.k.a. a little bit of stocking. Job well done. Uh, and he wrote her. Her name was Holly, uh, Hollis uh, Maynell. He wrote her, and she began to write back. During the war, they had this wonderful correspondence, and it turned into an incredibly deep friendship. He had the utmost admiration for her, but he had an imagination for her. He asked her for a picture, and she never sent him one. I wonder what she meant by that. He wanted to, like, are you pretty? Are you not pretty? He just wants to know. She's not sending the picture, so he's kind of nervous. Anyway, finally the war was over, and he was coming back. He was going to meet her at Grand Central Station at a particular spot at 7 p.m. She wrote him the last letter and said, Hey, we don't know what we look like. I don't know what you look like at all, but here's what I'll do. I will stand at a particular place, and you'll know me because I'll be wearing a great big rose on my lapel. So he gets out of the train. He walks over the spot, and he sees two women there. One woman, beautiful, and the other woman, much dowdier and not attractive. Goes on to say, he stopped, he stopped in his tracks, he waited there. The pretty woman walked away, and the woman with the red lapel stood there looking for somebody. He said, I was split, I was torn. I felt choked up with my bitterness of my disappointment, but so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had accompanied me and upheld me during my time at war. I thought, well, this won't be love and romance, but it could be something so precious. Maybe a friendship for which I would always be grateful. So he summoned up his courage and swallowed up, uh, swall, swallowed up his strength, uh, and he walked over and said, hello, I am Lieutenant John Blanchard. You must be Hollis. I'm so glad to meet you. May I take you to dinner? She smiled and said, son, I have no idea who you are and what this is really about. But the young lady who was just standing here beside me who walked away said, I should wear this red rose in my lapel, and only if you were to ask me to dinner, I should tell you that she's waiting for you in a restaurant across the street. Stop. That's, that's, how, that's how Rachel and I met. That's our, that's our story. I am Lieutenant Blanchard. These things are changed. I'm just kidding. Catch this real quick. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to light some candles. The thing that is holding you back is you are looking for the most beautiful thing that the world has to offer. And if you would actually not look for what the world says is flashy and the best, but you would actually look at the, the thing that the world does not celebrate, integrity, humility, the things of the kingdom. And if you would give actually God a shot, the things that you desire most, Beauty, redemption, success, it's actually behind those things. Christmas is if you would just go look at the one that saved you. Selflessness, self-sacrifice, becoming a servant, making God first is not an attractive statement in the world. Can we agree with that? That is one thing you can pick. Live for yourself, be self-empowered, be a self-millionaire, be a self-maker. That's what's beautiful to the world. But if you would look at this one and say, Man, I'm going to give this one a chance. Everything behind it is what your heart desires. Christmas shows us that. Last but not least, 
You went through all four gospels today. You are an overachiever as a Christian today. Job well done. Proud of you. Somebody says, how was uh, Candlelight? The pastor preached from all four gospels. He's a Bible teacher. Let's keep going. And now you have a Southern accent. Anyway, it's good. Um, last but not least, Christmas shows us that Jesus is the light of the world. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing uh, was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're not going to talk about what we hate at this church. We're going to talk about who we love. And what the gospel shows is that we don't need to curse the darkness. We just need to turn the light on a little bit. We just need to start living the life God calls us to live. It says in the Bible that... We are called to be salt and light, a.k.a. make things better and brighter. Now, if you keep reading the Gospel of John, you'll hear Jesus double down on this statement and say, I am the light of the world. I'm going to invite the candle people to come up, start passing out the candles. We're going to start lighting. I want to hold a candle while I talk about light. It just sounds right. These are high-end candles. Uh, they don't drop a lot of wax. You're welcome. Uh, but if you are by somebody that has really big hair, be careful. Okay, that's on you. All right. Keep your eyes on a swivel. Um, so the Gospel of John says that Jesus is light. And Jesus comes on the scene into a huge crowd of people. He says, I am the light of the world. It's a powerful statement. Now, when we hear that, we're like, oh, Jesus, you're the light of the world. That's such a sweet statement. I want to light my candle. I want to be the light of the world too. But if you were alive during that time and Jesus makes a statement, I'm the light of the world, what he is saying is, I am God incarnate. Because if you lived in that time, you knew the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and you knew in the Pentateuch that there was a light that led God's people in Exodus uh, by night because in the desert, you can't see nothing. But that light over, uh, during the day would turn into a cloud because if you're in the desert and you have the sun beating down on you, you need shade. So it would cover by day and it would lead by night. So when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's saying, I'm here to cover and I'm here to lead. Oh, I preach so hard. I'm here to lead. Come on. I was in the flow too. I was flowing. I'm here to cover and I'm here to lead. You're like, well, what does it look like for Jesus to be the light of the world? Because we're not in Exodus anymore. There's no cloud in the sky to lead my steps that way and to cover me during the, the, uh, the days where I'm going to be scorched by the sun. I think the woman caught in adultery in the uh, Gospels, the picture that I could say would portray it the best. The woman's caught in adultery in the light of the world is Jesus. He's there. And he covers her in that moment. Sin's penalty is death. And he says, hey, I don't condemn you. What it, uh, the law says to stone you, I say you are forgiven. So he covers her in the most shameful moment. We all need our worst moments covered by Jesus. Can we agree with that? So the light of the world came to cover you. But then he doesn't stop there with just a cover. And he says, now go live and sin no more. He raises the bar of her life. There is more in you, my daughter. I want to lead you to a life that you never thought you could live. A full marriage, not a promiscuous life. So you have covering and you have light. So when we raise the candles, sometimes we raise them like, we are the light of the world. Oh, we're the best. No, no, no. When we raise the candles, it is a mark of humility saying, I need to be led and I need to be covered. And the reason why this candle is lit, it's not by my good works. It's not because I'm so amazing. It's because he covered me and he's leading me. And when the church is humble like that, woo, imagine if we had a humble church. Oh, the most humble church. 
man, that would be a bright church. Candlelight really is a mark of our humility saying, God, you're God. You changed my life. You took something really ugly and you're making it beautiful. Make something really terrible and you're redeeming it. Man, that's a good God, amen? Will you stand up? Something I love to do is, I love for us as a church just to raise our candles as high as you can. There's something to be said for you to know that you're not on your own. There's something to be said to say to the Bay Area, the reason why I live here is because God called me to the least church region to light it up with kindness, with generosity, with invitation, with the, with the boldness to speak the good news of who Jesus is. Can we be that kind of church? Oh, we're going to be that kind of church, Mr. Church. You can take the candles down. We're going to have one more worship song, keep the candles on, and then we'll blow them out. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.